This is February 2020. This is Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out, and I think that's more or less the intro. Uh, you may notice a few oddities in this episode, and uh, let's call it upgrades. We've got a few upgrades in this episode. Uh, <laughs> so um, we have our usual me, and we also have our usual uh, Sam over there with us. Say hi, Sam. Hi. How's everyone doing? He's waving for the stream, but the people listening to the podcast can't hear the wave, Sam. So <laughs> I said hello. Can you not hear me Eventually. now? Eventually. No, I can hear you. Uh, but we we do not have the usual mic with us. Instead, we have upgraded to bring Lauren in with us. So say hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. How you doing? I'm waving for everybody uh, watching us on the Twitch. <laughs> yeah, you're going to fit in really well here. Hi, Lauren. Good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I resisted saying hi, Sam, and then Lauren said hi, Lauren. Listen, I was so close to saying that I was actually Mike Shea and seeing if anybody would would notice. Uh, see, see if anybody noticed, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, and as as Lauren noted, we have been uh, – for the last few months, we've started streaming our recordings. So if you wanted to, to join us there, you're welcome to do so. Usually the next day or the, that night, it gets uploaded to the YouTube channel. And then, of course, whenever Sam gets caught up on editing, it will be posted in audio and, and cleaned up and make us sound all pretty. So that's more or less the routine these days. Also, uh, Lauren, uh, big props to oh. doing the audio editing. As someone who has to do that on a regular basis, uh, oh. hats off to you. I mean, I spent the last seven years going through grad school, and if Sam hadn't taken over the audio editing, I think the Tome Show probably would have died while I was earning a PhD. So, Absolutely yeah. fair. Dude, audio yeah. editing yeah. is rough. It is, it is a bear. Yeah. No, it used to – I always estimate however many – you know, for every minute of audio somebody hears, I spent at least three minutes working with it. You know, between recording and uploading and editing. It, it, yeah. So Absolutely. there you go. Yeah. Uh, so before we go too far, since uh, people may not know you as well, Lauren, why don't you tell everybody on uh, listening here um, who you are and uh, and all of that? Uh, I'm sure all of the people watching on the stream know who you are because they came here to see you, right? That's why they showed up. Uh, <laughs> but for all the all the the millions listening uh, on the later on the audio, uh, let them know a little bit about who Lauren is. Uh, Lauren is Lauren Urban. I am the community manager for D&D Beyond. And I guess my D&D DMing credentials, I'm the DM for a podcast called Dungeon Drunks, which has been ongoing for a couple years now. We are literally about to launch episode 200. So that's been going on for a little while. I've also been a DM for a variety of shows on the Wizards of the Coast channel. I did uh, Clerical Error and Destiny and Doom for them. And I'm also a player on a bunch of random shows. Uh, most notably, I am the Dragonborn Cleric or Gara Eldrex on Beyond Heroes, which we just played before I came here. And uh, when I'm not doing all the D&D stuff, I am a professional classical musician, which is why you might hear people refer to me as Oboe, as that is my nickname. So there, there's my, there is my, my short list of things that I do that you might maybe know me from, but if not, that's okay. I, I assume that the oboe then is your is your instrument of choice. 
It is. It is sadly the thing that I picked before I knew any better. <laughs> my my wife was an oboe player uh, through oh, really? college anyway. Yeah, well, through most of college. She also got heavily into marching band, and oddly enough, they don't have a lot of marching oboes. Nope. Uh, so she picked so she picked up the tuba for marching band because that's the natural nice. equivalent to the oboe, right? <laughs> so, yeah. It is it is kind of the exact opposite and I kind of yeah. applaud her for that. That's amazing. Oh, no. I mean it was brilliant. There's not a lot of female tubas in marching band in college, right? Uh, and that's actually how I ended up meeting, meeting her. My my roommate in the dorms was a tuba player and that's how I met her. So That's awesome. Right, tuba is awesome. Well. I I, I respect her for fleeing from the oboe when she could. <laughs> <laughs> she still went back to it for concert band, but she hasn't played since since we graduated uh, entirely too long ago. So, all right. So we're going to get into our discussion of, uh, <laughs> of um, our games, and we're going to start with Sam. So, Sam, I am going to put 15 minutes on the clock for you to ignore. Uh, so your time starts now. Okay. Well... Um, I just, I also want to say, uh, out loud what I just typed in chat, which is what I just <laughs> learned personally is something I did not know, which is that Jeff's wife is a badass because I've always known it. Choosing the right? tuba, I know. I mean, come on mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I think the last thing that I talked about um, with my game was uh, describing how well. So I've got two games going. I have a game that I run on the D and D Brief stream slash podcast, which is so kindly hosted by James Interqueso on the Don't Split the Podcast Network on Twitch. Um, and so that's that has a couple of episodes in the can that have not been released. So I'm not going to say much about that, but I want to talk about my other game because it's a campaign that I run with two young men, young boys. Uh, and I've been running through Mike Shea's Ruins of the Grindle Root. And uh, th- I think the last time we talked, I mentioned how they, they got down to the Grindle Root. They couldn't figure out how to really resolve the issue. Um, of course, spoilers, by the way, for anybody who might think about playing that later. But uh, they got down not, there. Is it, even, and, is it even out yet? The final version? Oh, yeah, it's out. Yeah, oh, okay. look. Okay. Oh, see now, now I have to do a Mike Shea, and I have to. Uh, well, we don't, we don't, show we don't you. need to give, we don't need right. to give this Mike is, too uh, many uh, yeah. uh, promotions here. <laughs> he chose not to be on the episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're required to promote him every five minutes, right? That's yes, how yeah, I've all of my Slifler stuff right over here. Yes. Hold on, I'll go get it. Look, I signed the contract. (laughs) 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 Uh, um, So anyway, so they got to the end, and and there's this part at the end. They couldn't figure out what to do with it, and they sort of halfway resolved it. And then they decided, since we don't have this in front of us in a way that we can figure out, it must be somewhere else in the dungeon. So they started going around and looking around through the last sort of little mini dungeon again. And they found this spot that they had been to before. But they had never really messed around in that room, and that room had a sort of a a, a a sigil infused into the floor, and they had kind of avoided it previously. But this time, they decided that they were going to sit in the sigil and pray, or or meditate, or think about you know what what might be the solution to this problem, and it ended up teleporting them away. 
So the mountain is crumbling because they didn't actually resolve the issue, and they've teleported away. But what had happened previously was they had convinced the council members that were leading the town, the Deep Delver's Enclave, that they needed to evacuate everyone and they needed to leave as soon as possible. And they had this amazing role-playing scene where they gathered together and they got a person who's really important in the town, one of the NPCs, to come with them and help them convince the rest of the people that they need to leave their homes and pack up what little things they could and leave immediately so that they didn't all get killed. And so uh, so that's what... Um, that's what they had done, which was just an amazing scene for a 13 and a 15 year old kid, you know, who was who they've never played D&D before. It was it was amazing. It was so awesome. And so I gave them a lot of leeway when they decided, you know, OK, they're they're not actually going to leave. They're going to go back and they're going to try to defeat the Grindle Root. And they recruited three of these wizards that lived in the enclave. Um, and a couple of other adventurers, and they went down there, and then everybody got slaughtered except them <laughs> because they kept set, almost accidentally setting up the NPCs and having them go take care of these really nasty you know, combat issues, and, and they survived somehow. Um, so then at the end, they, they ended up teleporting away, and that was the end of the previous session. Well, then uh, – they wanted one more session, and they didn't want it to be over. I was thinking, because they had sort of given me hints, and I had talked to them about it. I thought when they finished that, they they were done. They just wanted to leave the mountain and go either play other characters or go do something else. But one of the NPCs that they had taken with them, they had really taken a liking to. And she was actually alive, and she had been sort of uh, – um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, the the Grindel root had influenced her. She was almost kind of possessed a little bit, and they decided we can't just leave her. We have to go back for her. Mm-hmm. So they went back for her. But when they went back for her, they camped in this huge forest that's at the base of the mountain. And I rolled a random encounter, and I roll I rolled this bandit troop <laughs> coming through, and uh, they. They actually fought their way out of that, and they discovered something flying in the air toward the mountain. And then they witnessed a, a mind flare and a lithid uh, going through the forest and gathering thralls. So they go back to the mountain, and they find this big thing, which they think is a meteor. They're not really sure. And they see that it's damaged the mountain a little bit. But then they look down, and they see these um, these creatures that they don't recognize sort of going into the mountain, going down a passageway, and then coming back out and taking something into into this meteor area. And they figure out it's a ship. They try to question some of these beings, which they don't know what it is, but it's the the sort of star spawn from Morden Canaan's Tome of Foes. Um, but it's, it's, it's like with the young, the minor ones, right? So I can't even remember what they're actually called. But it's the, they're actually beatable by these characters. These characters are only fifth level, but you know if they're smart, they, they're not just going to get completely overwhelmed. And they didn't get completely overwhelmed. But then they decided to sneak onto the ship and try to kill whatever mind flayers are on there because they realize, oh, the mind flayers are on there. So they go, they go on the ship, 
I know. They go on the ship, right? This I'm is sorry, their- I just have visceral reactions to yeah. mind flayers, especially when you're like, level five characters, mind flayers. <laughs> right. oh. well, well, what happened was one of them had gotten caught, and the mind flayer was like putting his tentacles over the, the character's head. Oh. And the other, the other PC uh, conjured some giant eagles, because he's a druid, and the giant eagles carried them away. So they escaped from the Mind Flayer. So they already sort of had this idea that they really just did not like this Mind Flayer. So they decided to sneak onto this ship, which at that point they really were unsure it's a ship. And then they found out real fast it's a ship. The ship takes off. They're going through. They're trying to destroy. They they get in a fight with this Mind Flayer. While they're fighting the Mind Flayer, which they're doing a really good job of, they peek down a corridor and they see a big, great brain in a tank. (laughs) That is, that's being, <laughs> it's being like uh, serviced and getting energy from these, the pieces of the Grindel Roots seed. Okay. And they realize, As, oh, yeah, like it's getting do. the energy from, what's that? They said, like you do. Right, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> so they decide they're going to try to break the little tanks that are feeding into the big tank. So they do that. Uh, and they're still trying to fight this mind player, right? One of them, his brain gets consumed. He 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 fails a couple of saves. Mm. The other one can't save him. He's he's gone. He's full on dead. Complete dead. You know, negative sixty hit points. I mean, he's gone. His mm-hmm. brain is done. Okay. The other one goes in, kills the mind flayer. Right. He's he's able. To, he's like one turn behind him. He kills him. Goes in, destroys the brain, and then all of these sort of uh, helpers come around and they're freaking out. And now he starts feeling the ship tilt because what he just did was kill the thing that's driving the ship. And now no one's driving the ship. The ship goes down. He dies. So oh. that, was the, that was the end of the campaign. He had no oh. other way to help himself. <laughs> so what he did at the end, the one whose brain had gotten eaten, he was a ranger and he had an animal companion. And it was a hawk. And so the character who was still alive, he took – this key that they had found and, and this magic item they had found and he gave it to the hawk and he told the hawk, go out and, and make sure that our, our patron, Balon, the beardless, you give him these things. And that was it. That was the last scene in the campaign. I mean, totally amazing. I mean, it was really super now, fun. Now you've got young yes. people and this is their first ever campaign of D&D. How did yeah? And I how did how did they handle the end of their first campaign, being like you you died and the bad guys got away? Well, I guess the bad guys didn't get away, right? No, it was heroic death. At yeah. least, yeah, yeah. It, was. it was heroic. Yeah, and and because they and they actually quieted the Grindel route too, so right. so they actually saved the whole Deep Delver's Deep Delver's Enclave too. Because before they got on the ship, they went and made sure that they could take care of the. Of the of the Grindle root. Um, how did they take it? You know, one of them, the one who's got his brain eaten, he was totally okay. He was trying to figure out, okay, what can I do? What can I make my hawk do? What? How can I help? How can I make sure we actually take, mm-hmm. like he was totally fine. The other one, I think he was a little bit disappointed. Um, I mean, he chose to play a druid and that's a really hard class for a newcomer. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm not sure that he understood the ins and outs and and the really optimum ways to use that class, mm. which, you know, I'm really flexible. So it wasn't necessary that they, of course, I say this after telling you I gave them a mind flayer, right? But I'm, <laughs> it's, not, it's not necessary. It's not necessary for them to be totally min-maxed 
to play in a game of mine and not just get slaughtered, right? Um, I'm really flexible about giving them a lot of leeway, especially because I want them to really enjoy the game. I just think he was disappointed. He wanted to keep going. I think he he's the type right. of person and the type of player who he wanted that character to go all the way to 20th level. He wanted me to make up the rest of a whole campaign. I mean, they have they have spring break in a couple weeks. Well, when they have spring break, they get two weeks spring break. And he told his mom, okay, I want to schedule my spring break. I want Sam to come over and run a game here and then here and then here and then here like two or three times a week for the two weeks that they're on spring break so i know they had fun um and i had told my coworker, their mom that like they might die and you know i asked her you know do you think i mean because i can get a read on them but i'm not their parents so i i asked her do you think that they'll be upset and she said well you know if it's part of the game it's part of the game i mean they have to learn that lesson, I guess, like if it's necessary. And I said, you know, well, it's not necessary. It's not like I'm planning on doing it. I'm not setting out to kill them, but it might happen. Um, and she seemed to think it was fine, and they took it pretty well. I mean, now, you know, I don't know. I haven't had a session since then, so I'm definitely going to talk to them. I was going to say, you know. have, do you know what your next campaign is going to be? So I asked at the end of that, we talked about what they wanted to do next. And one of them decided he wants to play a rogue. So he wants to play in a city so that he can run around, you know, picking pockets and dealing with thieves guild kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm probably that's why I don't anybody who's been following me on Twitter has noticed oh, I've been tweeting right. out, you know, what city should I use? And, and if I don't want to use Waterdeep, what should I use? And I gave, you know, I'm thinking Baldur's Gate. I'm thinking Sharn. I'm thinking, you know, City of Brass. I'm thinking Greyhawk. I'm thinking Specularum from Mistara. I'm thinking, like, I've had this giant list. And I did three polls. And um, Sharn won. Um, the problem is I don't know if I want to do it in Eberron. So <laughs> as much as Sharn won. Right. Uh, I, I was also looking at Zobek, you know, from, from Midgard, from Cobalt Press. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. Probably what's going to happen is I'm going to take some elements from each of those and just use the major city in my homebrew world and have that be it. Could so. you could you finagle things so that this Grindelroot campaign is in the mm -hmm. same setting? So then, like, they see, like, the heroic statues commemorating mm. their previous characters and the sacrifice that they made that, that might help them be more okay with all of that? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to do something. Um, I just don't know. So the thing is, I'm, I'm having this fight with myself, actually, and this is the question I want to ask you, both of okay. you and, and the audience as well. Um, so they want it to be in a city, and I want them... I, I so I have I have this sort of I have two issues. The first issue is they consume everything D and D. So these are the kids who uh, they keep checking out the monster manual from the library and they they're memorizing statistics because they enjoy it, right? Not because they're trying to mess mm -hmm. up my game, but just because they enjoy it. And I wrote a blog post about how you know here's what I have to do and here's some tips if if you have players who know all the stats, it's okay to change the stats, but here's what you have to think about when you're doing all that. So. There's that issue. So they already have the Avernus book, so I can't use Baldur's Gate Avernus because they'll they'll know everything. They'll they'll literally they're just they're sponges. They're just soaking mm -hmm. it up. And I normally don't have a problem with that, except they don't know how to separate player knowledge from character knowledge right now. Sure. And they have shown me that they don't know how to do that in the game. So it's sort of a fine line for me. So I've already decided I can't use that campaign. But I would like to give them something iconic and with lots of the typical fantasy tropes and that sort of thing 
in a big city, which is why I started saying, well, I don't know what city to use. Um, but yes, I probably will. You're, you're making a great point. I probably will do something where that, that mountain thing was in the past and now you know it's been maybe a couple decades mm-hmm. or so, maybe 50 years even. And so there are statues and it's a known sort of historical event that occurred that has had a large impact on that setting. I just don't know what it's going to be yet. <laughs> I've got a few I have two weeks. Areas to, I have two weeks. Two weeks to figure it out. So I got. I have two thoughts that come to mind. Um, one, if they're highly sort of charged into the or plugged into the Watsi releases or whatever, they may not be as into some of the third parties, right? So you mentioned Zobek. Right. Pick up a bunch of the Midgard stuff and include a bunch of that. Um, and then, and then you can also bring in the Tome of Beasts and Creature Codex sort of stuff, and suddenly the Monster Manual memorization becomes moot as well. Right. Um, my, right. my other thought was, um, you know, DM's Guild is a great source of I- ideas and adventures and what have you, uh, and you could do that, and it would incorporate things that they haven't seen before or aren't expecting. And particularly coming to mind, um, uh, JVC Perry has. Um, his campaign into the deep, which yeah. which then you get yeah. a whole campaign out of it, not just yeah. a, a collection of adventures that you string together, and that might be an interesting way yeah. to go too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, call from the deep. You mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Right. I, I and I have the exact opposite suggestion. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you, because I I think that's a totally viable suggestion, and I think that's awesome. And I pull from I got Tomo Beast right over there. I pull right. from third party stuff all the time because I have a similar situation and where I two of my players in my major campaign are DMs themselves and have been playing for just as long, if not longer. And so it's not that they've memorized the books because they're trying to be ravenous about it. It's they're in the same situation. I am, they're running their own games. So they know a lot. And even though they are very good about separating player knowledge from character knowledge, most of the time, even they forget, we all do. So my suggestion is, you know, if you want to run, if say you want to do Baldur's Gate, you want to grab the Avernus book, even if they never go to Avernus, uh, you're going to set it in Baldur's Gate. My suggestion is take the time to, in like a session zero, as they're planning their characters and they're planning, um, you know, how they want to approach this game, set it, go ahead and set it in Baldur's Gate and throw at them immediately things that are different than what's in the book. And then reward them for player knowledge, for character knowledge that is things that they would already know. So if they've gone ahead and read through all of Baldur's Gate and so they know all the street names, and they know all the place names and everything and be like, all right, so we're going to set your character in Baldur's Gate and their background is going to be someone who grew up here. So, you know, all of this stuff already. And so they can, as players, pull on that knowledge and feel like they're inhabiting that character, but then immediately throw a curveball of like this thing that you think you know is completely different and so you can start to teach them that it's it's okay to ask the question does my character know this and then if you say yes they can run with it yeah i speaking of mind i don't want to get into that i can get into some other things but that's what i would do is i would just immediately throw something at them that's in the session zero that is not what they expect and talk through difference between player character and uh, that, and that kind of knowledge. Yeah. And if you're going to play... One, I, I only have one problem with that, and that is I don't know the Forgotten Realms very well, 
So, so what? So for me, to, for me to prep Baldur's Gate, I would have to do a ton of work. Okay, to learn. so but so. so maybe you do it in Sharn or you know wherever yeah, yeah. you're gonna pull from. Pick if a, you think pick a city that you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. whatever city is that you feel comfortable in and make up what you want and discard what you want. And yeah, I just go for it like that. And and if yeah. you're up for, and I know, and I know you are, cause you do it all the time, homebrewing a, your own story, right. Instead of pulling right. something, then that actually becomes a really interesting way of coming up with the inspiration for the story. Hey, something's different. Something's not the way it's described in the published material. Well, that's an interesting question. Why is that? What's going on? What caused that? Is yeah. is it an is it an incursion of mind flayers? And it and it actually isn't different, but everybody thinks it is because they're messing with people's minds, right. and, uh, you know, or is there a, you know an illusionist running around and and changing things or you know whatever? Like that could be a fun yeah. story too. Is okay, something's not what you expected, and you grew up here. That shouldn't be. What's going on? Like that'd be fun. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. God. Why do I why do I have to like playing this game so much? I've just gave myself 20 hours of work. <laughs> eh, you got nothing else going on. Don't forget to keep editing episodes though. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you both for your advice. I I I'm yeah. I already I mean like I'm already thinking in my brain how to incorporate both of those points of view into what I'm going to end up doing and trying to make something really fun for my players. And uh, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. That'll be fun to hear about uh, in, in next month's episode to see what you end up doing with it. Yeah. So it's, it's always fun when you talk about your other game from D and D brief as well. Right. I always enjoy talking about it here. And then I listen to it when the podcast comes out and see, okay, what do you do with it? You know? Yeah. Oh, you know, cause <laughs> like, like right. I got thank yous from your players. Cause I suggested the apparatus of Koalish to you. Right. And then yeah, it yeah. doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't work like a normal apparatus of koalish. It's a little different. Now things are going weird, right? right? So that was that's fun. Yeah, too. and it just got them in a ton of trouble. So you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm 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 caught up. So I, I at least yeah. know the trouble they're aiming for. So. <laughs> All Excellent. right. Before we before we move on and let Lauren talk, I want to remind uh, all of our listeners: if you want to support the show, you can do so by shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild and getting there through the links at thetomeshow.com. So that is a way to get uh, some support from uh, for us. You get the exact same experience, same prices, same everything. We get a couple pennies thrown in there, and then the uh, the Amazon money goes to all of our uh, contributors and help those who regularly help out. Um, I appreciate all of that, and I hope they do as well. And the DMs Guild. Uh, affiliate link I use to get review products for when we do PDF episodes. So um, those are all great ways to support us. All right, Lauren, it's your time. I'm putting 15 minutes on the clock. Uh, and right. then you can ignore it like we do. So go ahead. All right. So since I'm I'm new to the show and I'm a guest here, I'll, I'll give you a brief synopsis of what my campaign is currently going through since I don't have anything to draw from from previous episodes. So Dungeon Drunks at the moment are a bunch of level 13 characters who are based in the Forgotten Realms, although... Uh, as you've probably guessed from my previous answer to questions, it is half homebrew, half Forgotten Realms. So I set them in the middle of Waterdeep and then I make up stuff all the time. I throw them into, I've destroyed Red Larch. I, they're going, they're probably going to Neverwinter and I'm making up half a Neverwinter. I just do that all the time. 
I got so the, very specific. I got very specific advice once from Ed Greenwood to just yeah. ignore whatever you want to ignore and blow up the world he created. He doesn't care and he encourages it. So, so yep. you're doing it perfectly. That's the exact Forgotten Realms. Oh yeah, I make <laughs> so. up. I I just I look at the published material out there for um, the stuff that I'm bad at making up, which is like street names and places and titles of things, and then I just make up the rest and. Uh, I do enough DMing off the top of my head that it is often completely different than what's in the published adventures. Um, and we don't run the published adventures. We I do homebrew campaigns. So this has been the most recent arc that my players are on. One of my characters has a backstory that involves their family being involved uh, with a deal with a devil. Uh, which this has been ongoing for the last couple of years in my campaign, long before Baldur's Gate came out. So it's been interesting mm -hmm. to pull new stuff from Avernus. So they are uh, the current in world thing that they are doing is uh, after multiple other things going on with this devil, the devil no longer is getting what she needs from this deal. And the character, his, his name is Travancore, has a medallion that has her true name on it. They've just discovered this. Mm. And she has basically offered that if he can figure out a way to destroy this thing, because the, the medallion can be used to summon her basically at any time. And she is an Aaron Yes, who is a uh, frontline general in the blood war and no longer is just someone trying to grab souls. She is hardcore killing de uh, demons. And it's embarrassing every time she gets pulled away from that. So she has told him, if you can figure out a way to destroy this thing, I will release your family from the contract. So this has been generations of a a thing that he has been trying to take care of and in my game world they know of a way to destroy this powerful object but it is a very closely guarded secret fortunately as level 13 characters that in Waterdeep that have saved the city of Waterdeep from uh, multiple things they have enough clout that they've been told about the secret and are in the process of trying to go there when Things went bad. There's uh, a bunch of Yugoloths who have been hired by demons to try to stop them because the Yugoloths have been hired to by the demons who are like, no, we want this Aaron Yes to be just gone all the time. Uh, also, the another one of my characters' backstories has shown up in where the person who is guiding them to this very special secret location is a a relative of hers. And after multiple years of this campaign, this is the first time that. Uh, this uh, Bernie, the cleric in my party, has this whole backstory that she's never talked about. She's never talked about uh, any of her family. Her name is something that they've never heard the her real name. Big spoilers for Dungeon Drunks, by the way. So the last episode that we had, everything came to a head and um, there was a lot of yelling. And I had it was good yelling. And it was it was one of those <laughs> funny, funny well, yelling. Well, it was in character, very intense uh, backstory yelling and betrayal. And, mm -hmm. and then we would finish. And for my podcast, we record, we do not stream. We just play and record. And then I do all the editing offline. So it, it was intense, intense, intense. And then there was a moment. And then my friend was like, you're okay, right? You know, it's all okay. And I'm like, yeah, no, that was, that was awesome. That was awesome. So like mm -hmm. post yelling check-in. But they are at a point in where they've they've reached a roadblock 
and this Yugoloth has basically stopped them, and they have to take care of this thing before they can move on to destroying the amulet. And as part of that, they've decided to go to Neverwinter, which was not on the agenda. The reason it came... (laughs) And and this is going to be part of my my question and part of the fun thing that I want to talk about. So one of the things that happened was um, I we're getting close to the end of this campaign. Eventually, it's going to end, and we're going to roll up new characters and start a new campaign. And I've been talking to them about some of the things that I wanted to bring into the new campaign. And one of them was a um, an option from someone online named David Nett, who talked about, um, they called it I Know a Guy. We've been calling it I Know a Person. And it's the idea of like workshopping on the fly with a person in your party who... Or in your, who, hey, oh, I, I know a person in this city. And then, like, workshopping that NPC and then doing a role or two to figure out what their relationship is. And my players wow. liked the idea so much at the time that it came up basically right in that episode. And I'm like, well, I'm, I think this is fun. Let's do this. That character ended up being a former professor of my wizard character from the Neverwinter Academy, who as a thing off the top of my head said that she could only hang around for a little bit because she needed to get back to Neverwinter because she's got a friend who's performing in the opera. And that eventually turned into, well, we should just go to Neverwinter and go to the Academy and get all of your Academy friends to help out with this Yugoloth problem that we have. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to come up with an opera because they're going to go to the opera first. Of course. <laughs> Why aren't they going to go to the opera? Oh, potions. Well, that's, that's what I thought you were going to say was they decided, eh, forget that Yugoloth for a while. Let's go see this opera. I think that sounds great. So they were actually pretty and, 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 smart. And when you and, say they're, you got to come up with an opera, like in my mind, that is I should come up with a clever title. What does come up with an opera mean to you? <laughs> well, see, now I am a classical musician, so I pulled right. my my book over there of of operas. I actually, I don't want to talk about it too much because we haven't done it yet, but I actually pulled an opera and reflavored it and changed a few things uh, to work perfectly. And so, um, are you going to so, are you yeah. going to perform the music? Um, are you going to sing? Prob- <laughs> oh. Uh, no, 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 no. I play a bard. I'm not, I'm not that kind of bard. Um, they, so I wasn't going to come up with the whole opera, but then they, they actually said a very smart thing, which is they're going to go to the opera, not just because it'll be fun to go to the opera, but when the professor talked about that's why she has to leave because she's going to go support her friend. Um, so the professor is a, an, a professor of enchantment, but she sidelines teaching bards how to use their bardic abilities. She's this very flamboyant character, and so she's going to go watch one of her former students perform in this opera. They want to go to the opera, not just to enjoy it, but because they're like, well, we'll be able to schmooze with some of the other professors that are there and some of these other powerful people. We're going to be able to help with this issue. And I'm like, that's too smart not to have to do the work of coming up with an opera. So that's all fine. I'm going to create Neverwinter out of pretty much nothing because like it's been forever since I played the video game and I'm just gonna make up stuff I don't know I've got a map and I've got what's in the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and the rest of it's gonna be off the top of my head in a couple names um the problem the good problem I'm having and the advice I would like to get get from you this I know a person worked really well 
And so now mm-hmm. two more of my players immediately were like, I know a person. We went through. <laughs> so my cleric was, I, I know a person in Neverwinter that we can go get help from. And we workshopped through that. And so that player, that character is going to show up in Neverwinter. And I'm excited about that. But I literally had two players at the same time, like, I know a person, I know a person. So I'm, I'm going to work in the next game that we're going to get together with the I know a person from from my barbarian, what I need advice from is how do we turn this cool thing that everybody enjoys that has worked twice now, how do we keep that from becoming the thing that takes over the next five games? (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah, that's like, because you're having fun with the I know a person concept and, and it was talked about ahead of time and everybody was on board and it sounded fun. And now that you've done yep. it, like it's th- now that's the campaign, isn't it? It's just I know a person. Let's go visit everybody. <laughs> it's it, we're. I, I just don't want it to go down that road. It's it, it hasn't gone uh-huh. that far just yet. But the fact that everybody jumped on board, I'm grateful. Like it's a good problem to have, but it's also like I want to make. Right. I, I don't want this to turn into, um, the, the I. The balance is supposed to be that they roll to see how this NPC responds to them. So I think mm-hmm. once the roll goes bad and that person does the the betrayal, it, they might think mm-hmm. about it a little bit more. But I would like to avoid it uh, either either needing to get to that point or us getting tired of this before we get to that point. Because that right. might happen because my players roll really friggin' well. So <laughs> what do you think? So. Is the is the idea that they can only use the I know a person like once per campaign? Is that the concept? I don't know. We did not get that far in it. Literally before one of before the episode that we recorded, the game that we recorded, mm-hmm. uh, I talked about this and we all liked the idea, and then it just naturally came up in game. So we just did it before I had had a chance to define it. I'm hesitant to make it. Let's only do it once a campaign because I feel like that might sound like I'm punishing the players who have already jumped on board. Um, right. But I I do feel like I need to come up with a, a reasonable limitation on this so that it doesn't get overplayed. Well, I, I wonder... Comments, since, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, well, I, what I was going to say was I, I was... My worry was when you do have that person who, who knows the person and they roll bad, that's going to feel like a punishment. Every, all the other players had this great experience with their person that they knew and this person got stuck with the bad role, like, that could go bad. Yeah. Um, that could go bad. Not that it will, but it could, right? Because it depends. But Well, and you're right about that. I yeah. do. They do know that it can go bad, so that is the one, yeah. you know, that is the, uh, they know going into it, at the end of this, you know, everything we say is going to be true, and they're going to do this role, and things could go bad, depending on right. that role. And I don't tell them what actually will go bad. They just do the role in right. secret, and then when they meet the person, and it do, it doesn't necessarily mean that if they roll poorly, that this person is going to show up and kill them or try to kill them. Sure. It just might mean that things are more difficult, or maybe this person isn't exactly what they remembered. Right. Um, well, that's what I was going to say is maybe they discover on their way to go see this person, they actually discover something about the person, or when they get there, they discover something about the person that kind of changes the tenor of what they thought their relationship was. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing which is realistic, but may not feel like a punishment. Yeah. Um, so my question to you is, 
Go ahead, Jeff. I was say, maybe maybe the the person you roll bad. Maybe the person is uh, turns out they've they've been captured, and now suddenly the person you were going to for help has just become a side quest. You know, and now right. you got to go yeah. deal with that. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, exactly. My, yeah, my question was going to be: um, Is this a problem that should be dealt with out of game? Like, maybe you should just sit down with the group. In, in the yeah. after the next session or something, and say, "Hey, here's something I've been thinking about, and you know, here are my concerns. My concerns are right. this could go bad in the way that it directs a campaign in the way that you didn't really want, not you, but everybody. Yeah. Um, or that that one person who does accidentally get the bad role feels punished, and that's not fun for anyone. And just to talk about maybe we should put some parameters on this after everyone has had a chance to do this. The limit is." once per campaign or or everybody can do it but it has to be when it's really absolutely necessary like this is the only way to get this task completed that we have to complete yeah in, no in I, I think yeah. i think you're absolutely right that this is this is one of those times where i need to talk to everybody and it's it'll be a good talk because so far it's been it's been super successful. We have had a lot of fun. So it's going to be right. the let's make sure that we don't ruin. Let's make sure that we don't have too much dessert kind of right. discussion. Right. I would yeah. just like to. Um, and and yeah, I definitely want to make sure that uh, the the quote unquote bad role that happens isn't just, oh, someone's here to betray you um, or that it's it's a full on punishment. It's still it, it needs to be an interesting role play experience that isn't necessarily an in character positive. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I need to talk to them. I would just like to come to the table. I haven't figured out what my suggestion is to bring right. to the table. So, so, yeah, maybe it is once once a campaign for everybody after we get through everybody. Right. right. And I think. um so you talked about it originally in the context of eventually you're going to have the next campaign and you wanted to incorporate this. You talked about incorporating this rule in the next campaign. And so yes. maybe in the next campaign, you, you let them use it whenever they want to with the understanding that it could go poorly, right? And and even make it a, you know, maybe there's a 60% chance that it's helpful and a 40% chance that there's some sort of consequence. So it's not an inconsequential uh, chance that things are complicated, right? Oh, there's um, my time. I've gone over. No. All right, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> uh, but then I think you can you can say like, but you know, and talk to like like Sam said, you talk to the group, but be like, you know, this is our sort of our initial foray into this experiment. We're going to incorporate it thoroughly into the next campaign. Um, but in the meantime, for now, for this campaign, let's give everybody a chance to pull it once. Just to, you know, I'm not punishing anybody. I'm not rewarding anybody. I understand some people have already used it, whatever. But let's maybe talk about whether or not that's the appropriate way of handling it for this campaign so that it doesn't get oversaturated, right? Uh, And then for the next campaign, you figure out how to do it uh, and how it's going to work there. If it were me in the next campaign, I would almost almost incorporate it into a session zero and, and like, hey, this is the setting. Tell me who you know now. Like you're gonna you're gonna do some world building. You're gonna tell me what this world looks like and who's in it. Uh, oh yeah. And and, and maybe they're and. not in the place that you you met them. They could be anywhere when you need them to be. But like, let's define them now, and then that gives you a bunch of hooks to play with as a DM. So. Oh, but yeah. also, when you define those, you ask them for the good part of the relationship. Like maybe it's that the person knows something or that they have something that could help. 
but then also have the players give you a drawback to that relationship. And then they know that both of those things are going to be important for that NPC, and you're not the one doing the work figuring that out, right? And it yeah. can be vague enough that you you get to still help determine it because when it's used in the game, you're not sure when it's going to be used. But you'll at least know, and they'll know, there's a drawback and an advantage both. Right. And then it's their choice to get the advantage but then have to deal with the drawback consequences. Yeah. Right. You know, we're definitely just going to have to have that discussion, for at least for this campaign yeah. of, you know. <laughs> right. But it's, I mean, as I said, it's it's one of those happy problems in where it's gone no, so absolutely. well so far that yeah. I just I just want to make sure that we don't OD on our stake, you know? Right. I, yeah. I really like those those elements of of games where you can give the players some world building control. Um, I was a, oh yeah. A, I, I, I was really inspired several years ago. Uh, Will Wheaton, I don't know if you ever watched, uh, ran Titan's Grave, a, an adventure for Fantasy Age that he wrote, right? And he did a fantastic job of that. And now that's my go-to. Like every time I'm, you know, they're wandering, my players are wandering through the city or they go into a shop or whatever. And I think to myself for a moment, every now and then, when I'm really on my game, I think to myself for a moment, what question would Will Wheaton ask him in this situation, right? <laughs> and, and then yeah. pull pull that trick on him. And so, I, yeah, so anytime – and this is a great example of that, right? You're asking your players to do some world building. They're creating an, an NPC. Uh, and that helps build out and flesh out the world. And that's always a lot of fun. And it takes some, some of the load off of me as the DM. I don't have to be creative and come up with everything. You can help me out. So And, and it lets the players decide when they do that. It, it lets them yeah. – and and it can help them out of a jam too. Like it literally this first time, the the reason it came up was so that you know my wizard player was like, I I don't this isn't my speciality, but hey, I think I know someone from my past, and so it helped advance the plot. It gave me mm-hmm. a character to play with. It it really did. It was a plus. Would do again. Just not every session. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> See, I thought for a second there you were going to say that the wizard got stuck into a jar of strawberry preserves, and so it literally helped them out ah. of the jam. Yeah. <laughs> that's the next session. Yes, that's the there mimic go. there that go. I'm going to be throwing at them would be the, 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 yes. the jar of preserves. Jeff, right. you just gave away the topic of the opera. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> a wizard got shrunk and stuck in the jar of preserves. <laughs> I will say, I, so so if anyone's watching, uh, if anyone's listening for Dungeon Drunks right now and you don't want to be spoiled, I will say the opera that I'm pulling from is The Elixir of Love by Donizetti, and which is literally about love potions because I went, mm-hmm. well, why not? Um, the other interesting reason that I pulled from that opera is because historically that opera was written super fast and um, there's evidence that the main, the the original actor, uh, opera singer who played the lead role had a stutter. And so I've been looking for a way to incorporate a variety of characters into my, my DMing style. And this was, um, hey, this is a, a historical character person who was still completely successful as an opera singer, even though they had a stutter um, and it's incorporated into the opera as well. So I've, I've changed some things and it's called something slightly different and it involves potions, but I went, well, how, how can I not do an opera about a, a love <laughs> potion in D and D that's kind of perfect. So yeah. perfect. Absolutely. That's awesome. Very good. All right. Can we call that the end of your time? You went over just a few seconds. 
I I went over by a good uh, forty minutes or so. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you still still That's haven't okay. broken Mike Shea's record, so don't no. worry. <laughs> like a good DM, I I prepped for a session and I actually prepped for three sessions, and so yeah. we're just going to keep right. on going. Yep, absolutely. I'll use those maps next time. That's fine. Exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right. So I'm going to go next. But before I do, I want to let people know if you want to support the show directly, you can do that as a patron. Go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show and you can chip in, you know, a dollar a month or five dollars a month or whatever you think you want to do. Uh, and and we really appreciate that. That goes to helping pay the Tome Show's bills. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't lose money on this hobby of mine. So um, <laughs> so that's that's that. Let's get into my time. I've started my clock. So um, I am running my Dragon Heist, um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign that is also going to be the a Curse of Strahd campaign. I've, I've mashed up these concepts. Uh, and so they'll do Dragon Heist and then uh, the mist will roll in, you know, several months later after they've had a time to settle down and, and whatever. And I'm thinking it, I haven't decided exactly yet, but I'm thinking it's going to, it's going to, the mist is going to take the entirety of uh, Trollskull Alley with, with it into Ooh. Barovia and all of it. Now they've got NPCs they got to protect and try to get back and, and raise the stakes a little bit. And I've been, been layering in all these things and there's going to be a, a, a finale to the campaign wherein by, by defeating Strahd and coming home, they're also bringing the Amber Temple back to the Forgotten Realms, and all the dark powers escape. And then they they're gonna have to run around and deal with that. And I'm using that to incorporate some, you know, like one of the dark powers is going to choose uh, the Pit Fiend Gargoth as his champion, and then they're gonna have to, you know, defeat it by trapping it into the shield that will then come up in the next campaign when I run Avernus. Right? It's the shield of the Hidden Lord, uh, and all that. But the the point where we're at now. Um, I gave, I very intentionally, they, when they got the map to show them where the, basically where the campaign, Dragon Heist kicks off real hard when they, they go to, they, there's this, what is it, chapter four or five or whatever, um, Dragon Season, where it's different for, depending on the season that you're playing, but like things start going real fast from that point on. Uh, and so I wanted to give them some time in between. So I, 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 I basically put a timer on the map, right? Uh, on th the full moon of this night, then the location you needed to go to will appear. Now we've got 10 days that you can kind of go off and do all these faction missions that you've been ignoring and do all these side things that you wanted to do. Um, so I've been doing that for a while, and I've been pulling in extra side missions, faction missions from uh, Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures, and I've pulled in some from Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and, and so we're getting to play all these different things, and, and it's going really well, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but we're getting, we got to a point where it was getting a little bit long in the tooth. Right, uh, the players were like, "Let's can we get on with the narrative?" And also, we haven't leveled in like months, and it's getting tiresome. <laughs> like, you know, uh, because I like I don't want them to go to Curse of Strahd and be like three levels higher than they're supposed to be, and I have to completely redo everything. Uh, but then yeah. I decided, you know what? I decided, you know what? Though, like, I'm I'm an experienced enough DM. If I have to ramp things up, I, I can do that pretty easily when I get to Curse of Strahd. Let's let them have the pace of leveling or whatever that's going to make the game fun. Uh, but I also cut some of the the extra missions. Like I was about to use uh, 
the Fantastic Adventures um, Crash Palace, which is one that I really like. You know, they a dead angel or an angel shows up and dies and tells them that there was this celestial temple that or palace that crashed up in the mountains, and there's a, a demon up there trying to summon like a pit fiend or whatever. Uh, so you better go up and, and stop him. Angel dies, ah, right? So like the I had a session where like the cliffhanger was you show up at the temple and an angel is laying there and it dies in front of you, but it passed on a message. And then we stopped, right? And then I thought better of it. I'm like, this is going to add like three more sessions. And there's all these other things. Go- <laughs> like there was the, there's this assassination thing going on. I pulled um, the gloom, I think it was. There was another one where uh, and somebody, was, uh, somebody was trying to kidnap some like noble kid or whatever. And it was also from Fantastic Adventures. Uh, and I was going to pull that one in as well. And I introduced that like concept into them. I gave them that hook. And, and then by the next session, I'm like, yeah, but I, I can't actually do all of this, right? So I had the angel's message be completely different and it was more of like a prophecy of their importance towards the the defeat or or thwarting of the dark powers that's going to happen like 10 levels from now, right? Okay, that'll work well. That's fine. Uh, and then the the kidnapping I had changed so that it was it was one of the Castellanters children that was that was supposed to be kidnapped. And they went off to be like, hey, we need to help you, help you. We heard that there's a kidnapper that's coming after one of your kids. And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. And then the, the constables uh, are, are walking out with a stretcher. And it's got the dead body of the kidnapper on it, which helps solidify, like, you don't want to mess with the Castellanters. These are serious casters and they're powerful, right? Uh, so it, it still furthered things, but it sort of got me out of having to run that whole um, – that whole side quest, right? And got, got them to move on. Um, and then, of course, that, that next session, after we realized we got to skip all of that and go straight to the next things, and I told them, as soon as you find the Stone of Galore, you'll, get, you'll, go, you'll gain a level, right? So that's, that's your milestone. That's what you're aiming for. So they decided to spend the next session uh, was basically a shopping episode, right? They're, they're like, well, we got some time. We got some downtime. Let's just do a bunch of downtime stuff and, and clean up some of the loose ends here and let's go shopping, right? And, and uh, this was also an opportunity I found to lean on their connections they've been building with the factions, right? Um, to, to this point, I, I felt like they were doing a lot for the factions and weren't really seeing the point because the factions weren't doing a lot for them. Mm. Um, and so they were like, well, we want to find some magic weapons. We're starting to run into some things that can only be hurt, be hurt my magic. And that's, that's killing us. Right. Uh, and, and I don't want to set up a situation where they can just like go out to the magic shop and buy magic weapons. Um, so I use the Xanathar, uh, I think it's, is it Xanathar guide that has the downtime rules? Yeah. Is that the right book? Yeah. So we use the downtime rules for there where, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of money and a certain amount of time to find the things that you want, the magic items you want to buy. In this case, they had the time. I allowed them to use their connections and they asked the Harpers, hey, you know people, you can make these connections. Can you find us some plus one short swords or whatever, right? They didn't want anything major. Uh, and, and so I allowed them, like, that's fine. Like, they can go out. You still have to pay for them. We're not going to, like destroy our connections by taking their their stuff from them you still have to pay for it but um so they got to see some value out of the harpers and then i made the point afterwards like okay but like you've stretched your connection to us pretty hard like your our alliance doesn't go infinitely like you don't ask for us for anything for a while right we you know we appreciate what you've done we've helped you out here but like let's not go crazy now they have all these other factions they can help get help with too 
So so that's happened. Uh, and in that same time period, I had Jarl Axel come and visit them in the form of J.B. Nevercott, right? Um, which, by the way, is the perfect name for a Jarl Axel uh, uh, alias, right? First of all, his last name is Nevercaught, and they caught on to that and laughed about it, and, but it wasn't until this instance where he revealed himself that they caught, oh, JB, that's Jarl Axel Bainray, right? So, uh, like, he's he's not really even hiding it that much. Uh, you know, he's a he's a, nope. a hat salesman, and Jarl Axel is famous for his big floofy hat, <laughs> you know, whatever, so... Um, so he, so JB Nevercott shows up and like walks into the cellar of Trollskull Manor where, where they're scheming and making their plans, just walks in and like, I, yeah, I know what's going on. Right. You know, uh, and tells them, look, like, look, I know you're aiming to find, um, the vault with all these, this gold in it. Right. And, and I get it. And let's all just like, let's, let's, you know, and he's like, I'm going to be up front and on board. Like. I, I get like the right thing to do is return it to the city. It's the city's money. It's been stolen uh, by by Daggle Never Ember, right? And and it's tax money. It should go back to the people of Waterdeep. I'm not gonna be that guy that says give it to me, right? But can you let me return it to the city? Because that would get me some clout, and I'm trying to bring my organization and go legit, right? And they're like, well, we don't know if we trust them. And then one of the players is like, wait a minute. It's stolen money? I thought we were just going to get rich. And suddenly it turned into this big moral drama of them coming to terms with, oh my gosh, wait, we didn't even think, uh, all this, all these sessions, we didn't, we forgot that it was stolen. Like, we just thought we were going after all this money to get rich, right? And that's, that's <laughs> legit. But I wanted to set up that they had to think about that before they get to the end, because hauling all of that money out would take multiple trips, even with a bag of holding, right? It would just... Getting it physically out of the vault would take multiple trips, and eventually somebody's going to show up and be like, "Hey, I'm Laryl Silverhand. What are you doing with all my gold?" <laughs> you know, and they're going to have to deal with that. They can't win that fight. So I, I wanted to to set the stage and prepare them for the fact that that's going to be a conflict, right? If you get into this, somebody's going to come looking for for that money. And I think uh, that was a, a shock to them, and they had a big debate discussion about it. And I think they were starting to come to terms with all of that. Then last session, which was just last uh, Friday, we ran the actual um, dragon season. And, and in the summer, it starts at the Castle Antor Mausoleum out in the City of the Dead. You find the one surviving cultist who tells them, oh, they, they, tr they tried to kill us and they took it. And they're probably going to this headquarters that we know of at this old abandoned windmill. You go there and you show up just in time to, to see them passing the stone off to some spine, spine, spine devils who then go flying off with it. And then it's a, it's a rooftop chase scene uh, to catch the spine devils. Uh, and I modified the chase rules. I thought the the official D&D &D chase rules were kind of overly mechanical. Uh, and so I, I ripped off uh, some ideas from the Torque Eternity chase rules because they have chase rules because it's a very cinematic game. Like it's supposed to play like you're in a movie. And so I said I, I changed it there where I used like the the uh, was it the obstacles table from the chase um, that's in the book, but instead like you I had somebody roll every every round. Okay, this obstacle comes up, or there's a fifty percent chance there's no obstacle, but fit, you know sometimes this obstacle comes up. You have to succeed at whatever that check is in order to proceed, to have a chance to proceed to the next stage of the chase. And there's four steps to the chase, and whoever gets to the end of the chase first you know, is victorious in there and, you know, gets to the end of the chase, right? Uh, 
and and there's some things I would do a little differently, but it went really well. They were happy with it. They you know it was it was a, appropriately dramatic. It felt crazy, you know, running across the the top. Two of my characters are ASMR, so they popped out their wings and like flew after them. So I gave them advantage over uh, avoiding all these things because how hard is it to do a rooftop chase when you can fly, right? Uh, and and then it concludes in an alleyway where they're supposed to the the devils are supposed to hand off the stone to this doppelganger that works for the castle lanterns, which I changed because one of the characters put into their background that they have like a rival from their their history. Uh, this is this is a tiefling character who's actually from the city of Dis, who's now moved into Waterdeep with her family. But this other family moved with them as well, and there's this rival that's always better than her, named Zeri. So I'm like, well, that guy works for the Castle Lanterns. That's the guy who's they're, who's they're handing the stone off to, right? So the rival is there and has the the stone, and he he's you know he they fight for a while. There's sort of the bearded devil and, and other thing, imps there and whatever, and they have their fight while he runs away. Uh, but what I didn't know is that the character who came up with Zeri's as the rival this whole time has been building up this backstory that she never told me about. And so it turns out in her mind, Zeri's isn't just a rival from her childhood. He's a former lover. And now she's like, oh crap, I'm going to have to kill him and I can't do it. Right? And so like, yeah, right? We got to the end of the session and she's like, man, that was really stressful. Like good stressful, but really stressful, right? Of having to figure out what the... And I'm like, well... That's cool, and I'm glad you had fun. I wish you had told me that you were like building up this background, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I could have played with that and done some more with it. Uh, but he ultimately he got away. So the 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 way that it's supposed to play out, there's another chase scene through the streets. I'm like, we don't need two chase scenes more or less in a row, broken up by by a fight. Uh, I made it more of a cutscene. Like he he ran out, he bumps into a bunch of people, he falls over. You see those three orphans that you've met, uh, and then he and then he's there, and you surround him, and he uses I, I statted him up as a warlock, so he uses one of his spells and just sort of teleports away. Um, but um, the the orphans stole the stone off of him like they do in the book. Now, in the book, they steal the stone off of him and take off down into the cellars, and then you have to team up with them and find it, and there's a mimic and whatever. Um, they caught on that, like, you guys probably stole that thing, right? Like, I lived on the streets before. I know what it's like. And so they just got it from him before the cellar scene, which was fine. Um, it wasn't necessary. But then I had the watch still show up because the final scene of that chase the, of, to, for the stone is the watch shows up and said, hey, you just caused a lot of chaos in the middle of a really busy street in Waterdeep. Um, we need to bring you in for questioning, right? And so I did that. Um, and so they they went in for they went into the the courthouse. Uh, they were you know, locked up for a few hours. It was like, hey, the magistrate will be here, you know, in a few hours or whatever. Uh, in the meantime, stay here. We'll we'll keep your stuff safe and confiscated. And one of the characters pulled the sleight of hand check and hid the stone. Right. So they still have the stone on him. But then, um, as the book says, like. In, in the original, the doppelganger shows up. In this case, Zeri's the rival who has uh, uh, the ability to cast disguise self shows up in the disguise of one of the um, of the captain of the watch. And he's like, hey, so uh, we hear that you've been chasing people around looking for this stone. 
why don't you go ahead and tell me where it is? We'll keep it safe and make sure nobody gets it. And they're like, uh, no, right? And then, then he tips his hand and gets mad at him. <laughs> no, give me the stone, right? Give it to you know. And, and, and then they realize who it is and what's going on. And, and he, he walks out. And then they're there for a little bit longer. And then uh, the Blackstaff shows up because they're, they have connections with uh, Force Grey. And, they've, and so they've met the Blackstaff a few times. And so once again, the factions are helpful to them or, and shows up and says, hey, they, let's just say they were working for me. Let, let them out, right? They're, they're on the up and up and whatever. And so then somebody, uh, one of the characters uh, attunes to the Stone of Galore. And I'm Ooh. playing, I, 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 I modified a little bit of the Stone of Galore. Um, there's a, there's a, a popular alternative approach to Dragon Heist Waterdeep that I, I'm not following, but I stole some inspiration from called the Alexandrian Remix. Uh, and I don't remember the name of the website uh, of the person who did it, but it, but it gets a lot of attention on like the 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 Dragon Heist Facebook group. They talk a lot. People there talk about it a lot. But one of the ideas he had was the Stone of Galore. Actually, the three eyes come out, and it becomes more powerful the more eyes that are put back into it. Right. And right now in in my game, it only has one eye. So the only thing it can do is tell you where the vault is. Uh, and the keys to get in, right? The second eye is actually in the vault, and the third eye that can be used to wipe um, the memory of something from you know existence, which is why the, nobody knows where the vault is, uh, is the third power um, that it has. But the third eye uh, is in Barovia, so they'll find it when they go into uh, Curse of Strong, right? Uh, but the the Stone of Galore is kind of a jerk, right? It's, it's a it's a superior uh, superior attitude. Uh, uh, what is it, Abeleth, That's been you know changed into this stone, and it thinks and knows it knows for a fact it's better than everybody. And so he's kind of a jerk to, or it's kind of a jerk to the one player who attunes to it. The, the player's like, you know what? Fine, and pops out the the the, the one eye and says, "I'll just keep this in my pocket." And, <laughs> uh, you know, so they found out where the where the vault is. They found out the keys, and then he pops out the eye just to punish it for being a jerk, um, which is fine. And and we'll see sort of where that goes. And then I I, I made the th- the three pieces to the keys to get into the vault three coins. Uh, one of them is a soul coin, which is then tying us into the next campaign, so a cameo of that. One of them is a coin from Barovia, sort of tying into where we're going next. And then one of them is the coin that uh, – one of the coins that is mentioned in the uh, adventure Blue Alley, which I had incorporated earlier, uh, where there's a coin that commemorates the 50th uh, anniversary of, of uh, Open Lord – Paladin Sun, Peregrine Paladin Sun. Uh, and so they already have that coin. The other two, they're like, well, where are we going to find it? They, they tap some of their contacts and they find it. Hey, you know who's a big coin collector that has a lot of rare coins like that? The Castle Anters. You should totally look into that, right? So now they got a reason to go to the party at the Castle Anter estate. Uh, which is where my question, I guess, comes in. I've, I've ranted a lot now. Uh, my question <laughs> comes in with the Castle Anter estate. So... They, they need to get in. Uh, I'm thinking that the coin is being protected by the Elder Son that's been transformed into a Chain Devil because of their, their deal gone bad. Um, and I'm not sure if they're going to go in before the party or during the party or whatever. Like, it's not – it can't be a go in and just fight your way through. I tried to establish with them earlier. Like, the Castle Anders are powerful, right? They obliterated this kidnapper. Um, so I'm curious how you would approach, I guess, that – 
that having them go into a situation where they have to play a very different style than they've played before. Um, and, I mean, this is the actual heist, I guess, of Dragon Heist for them, right? Because going into the vault's not really a heist heist. Uh, but this is. Like, how do I... How do they get to the? How do I approach with them the idea that they got to go into this place, and and not sort of just go in guns blazing? Well, how much do they know about the the party and what else is going on in the Castle Enters Estate? Because the more they, well, they yeah. know, the the more likely they're not going to go in guns blazing. You know, if they know if your party is filled with people that they shouldn't piss off or people that they shouldn't right. encounter it's you know it's castle enters why don't they have members of forest gray there why don't they have the black staff there why don't they have all these people there which can give your players an in but also indicate to them hey maybe uh fighting our way through is not the correct way to go mm-hmm. maybe yeah and and um and i don't know if you've played uh or read through dragon heist but uh, the Castle Lanterns have a cult going on, and part of the storyline is that they're going to kill everybody who's there as well. And they yeah. don't really know know that yet, but I think, but they're starting to get some clues. And I think it would definitely, I would hope, I'm hoping that it comes out when they actually go into the estate, right? But I don't know yeah. exactly how to tip that hand without just tipping that hand, you know. I'm I'm, I'm sorting through that as well. So, if, so I'm open to all kinds of suggestions about how this should play out because it's likely to happen soon, <laughs> like Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there is there a way to telegraph to them in game that they have to approach this differently from their typical MO without without actually letting them fall right into the mud puddle? Can you bring them up to the edge of it and telegraph to them that falling in would be really bad? Maybe. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think. Like a minor I mean, NPC tips them off, right? Like, oh, right. you know, this is something that's going on. You might not know these facts about this. Let me tell you this. Right. I'm doing you a favor. You're going to owe me one later, but this, you know, this might save your life, kind of thing. Well, and it can also, very by well. the way, while, while you're thinking of that, the Alexandrian remix that you're talking about. Yes. Literally, that's the Alexandrian.net is where that, <laughs> where that comes. I saw, you, I saw you posted in the chat. Yes, thank you. Uh, and there's lots yeah. of good well, ideas that's there. For the, I, I that's for the podcast, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't run the Alexandrian remix, but I stole some ideas from it that I thought mm-hmm. were really interesting. Sure. So. sure. Um, I've seen a website. couple of versions yeah. of that, and it's very yeah, cool. Yeah. It's it's a it's yeah. an interesting it's an interesting way of uh, mixing that up. So yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, no, I think and I think with all their faction connections, like it's it'd be really easy to to play that in as well. And uh, one of the so one of the players changed PCs partway through the game. He was just sort of losing interest with the previous one, so I let him make a new one, and we introduced him as, oh, well, he's a he's a strong, he's a barbarian, right? So he's this strongman dwarf who's famous for being super strong, coming out of, uh, um, what's the, Gontalgrim, um, and, and coming down to Waterdeep, and he's been hired by the Castle Enters as security, but, but you know, he's a little dim, Everybody recognizes he's not really security. They have that established. He's really just there because he's a famous strongman, and they they want the the guest to be able to come and gawk at him. So he's got an in. Um, he's not. He hasn't been real quick to use it though to like for information gathering. Like they've they've approached Castle Enter Estate twice now, and he's never been like, "Hey, I work for him. Can I come in?" You know. So it's never come up. 
Um, but it could. And, and certainly they have contacts that could, like, tell them. Um, but I'm trying to wonder, like, do I just have one of their, you know, do I just have Rene or Neverember or Mert show up and be like, hey, I hear you're going to the Castle Andrew Estate. Here's some stuff you should know. Or should I, I'm hoping to wait a little bit and see if they think to ask ahead of time, you know? Um, or maybe I tried it's... to, t- oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you were talking about, you know, like the Harpers, their connection to the Harpers being like, hey, we've given you this stuff. We've helped you out. Now don't don't talk to us for a little bit. If the Harpers come back and are like, hey, we hear you're looking into the castle enters. We've been looking into them, too, because there's some shady stuff going on. Um, we're calling in kind of this favor like that. That mm. could be that that could be a way to reintegrate the, the faction dynamic mm-hmm. back into it. And a bunch especially the harpers but a bunch of the factions in waterdeep would have a really good reason to be keeping an eye on the castle enters and might have enough of the info you need to drop on your your players to make them ask the right, right. questions you know or at least yeah. try because you know what you can do your best and then sometimes they're just going to run on in and torch the place anyway right and it was Rainier who told them that the Castle Enters were coin collectors, and so it, and he's a member of the Harpers, so it makes sense that the Harpers would know, and they would be the exact sort of people to just sort of, hey, we hear you're looking at this, we need go ahead and go in and do this stuff because we've been watching them too, but like also let's not make waves because that's totally the way the Harpers would work, right? Just be as low key as you can until you can't be, and then be you know out of there. <laughs> so yeah. Um, that could work real well. So also, no, that's good. also remember, right? Remember that if you want to, like, there's the golden rule, right? Where if you want to telegraph something to your players, if you're being subtle, they're not going to catch any of it. If you're oh, yeah. if you're being a little less than subtle, they might catch ten percent of it. If you actually mm-hmm. have something you want them to know, you have to just make sure you tell them. You know, yeah, and it no, doesn't absolutely. have to be it doesn't have to be the DM saying it, but it it needs to be telegraphed in a way that they catch that, okay, that's true. And it, it's an impact. It's going to have an impact on our decision-making process. You know, and I then if they, Le- if they Leroy Johnson, it, well then they Leroy Johnson, it, you know, that's I mean, them, right? that's just how it works. Cause, they, Cause it was telegraphed clearly to him. I have a, I have a Druid who's a member of the Emerald Enclave and that faction is really important to that character. And he, and he's dude, because of life, he's missed several like key sessions. And so the Emerald Enclave hasn't, been as one of the more important factions and i've been toying with the idea of doing some stuff with him out of character or away from the session from the last one that he missed being like well he didn't just miss it because he was hanging out back in the manor right something came up and so maybe he got into a conversation with the enclave who was like hey there's an imbalance going on right now and it's it seems to be centered around these castellanders we think they've made some sort of dark deal Right, and that would start, and that would be an opportunity for him to be able to come at them with this information that could be helpful for the scheming that they already kind of had in place. So there's all kind of, yeah, I got several good ways to sort of get an in on this. Thanks, guys, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It, it sounds like um, I wouldn't be surprised with all of the different ways that your players have of gathering that kind of information if they don't start asking the right questions. You know, give them. Give them the five minutes to mull over some options and then just run with whatever they cho- choose, you know, just right. whoever they decide to, hey, maybe we should just talk to so-and-so before we go, you know, kick down the door. That person just right. happens to have, you know, the hey, you need. don't want to do that. 
Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting that you like you'd think with all of the work they've done in establishing these connections to factions, the only faction they ever ask anything of is the Harpers. And their connection to the and, and and they don't ha- even have the most renown with the Harpers, right? They haven't done the most with the, for the Harpers, but they know how to find Mert, or they think they do, because he always he told them when they first met, like, "Hey, come and find me at my my estate or my manor or whatever." Uh, but like, if you read the the mechanics of that contact. Like Mert tells them, yes, come find me at my house. And then if they go to him, there's only a 10% chance that he's there. <laughs> yeah. Every single time, to- every single time they've gone, he hasn't been there. <laughs> they've never <laughs> actually found Mert at his house. <laughs> so, well, there's so no just, reason why there's no reason why Mert can't be meeting with someone from the Emerald Enclave and be like, hey, Absolutely. you're asking yeah. me the wrong questions, but uh, I happen to have this dude, and if you want to talk to them, uh, I'm going to get a cut mm-hmm. of whatever you're doing because you know mm-hmm. I've made the I've made the offer here, and then you reward both. You reward your Harper mm-hmm. people for thinking about Mert, and then you reward your Emerald Enclave person who, you know, the Emerald Enclave person goes, oh, I know this druid. Yeah, sure, I'll help yeah. you out. Yeah, I gotta start sending some messages on our on our group Discord to him so I could we can d- play all this out before Friday. So, lots of good ideas. Thank you, I appreciate it. And now I just got to figure out which one's gonna work. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we'll call that the end of my time. That was fifteen minutes, right? Sure, F- fifteen minutes over. Yes, I, fourteen I think minutes all... and thirty nine seconds. <laughs> that's right. I think we I think we all went exactly fifteen minutes. That ha- that's why the episode yes. is an hour and fifteen minutes long. That's right. Yes, because I I do new math. That's how math works. Yes. So, all right, we are going to call that the end of the February episode of Behind the DM Screen. I want to thank uh, Sam and Lauren for joining us. Uh, Sam, of course, people can find you. You are DM Samuel and RPG Musings. Uh, Lauren is at Obo Lauren. And where, what? Where else do you want to send people to find you? Uh, come to D&D Beyond. Come hang out on our Discord and our forums. That's that's where I spend a lot of my time uh, when I'm not in a Twitch chat somewhere. Uh, but yeah, as, as far as on the social medias, Twitter is the best way. Obo Lauren is the best way to, to get in touch with me because I, I find one thing I like and I focus on it. And that's my one. <laughs> and, you, and you talked about your, your Dungeon Drunks game. Where can people find that? Uh, if you go to DungeonDrunks.com, you can find us wherever fine podcasts are sold. We come out every Monday. And, uh, yeah, do, do not be do, uh, do not be scared of the fact that we do have 200 episodes. Um, start Ouch. with the most. Yeah, there's a lot. We've, we've been going for a while. Um, yeah. But we do have distinct uh adventures in that ongoing campaign and i do a recap at the beginning of every single episode so my suggestion for both us and also as as someone who does a lot of suggesting to other people to uh watch certain D shows or listen to podcasts when you know when critical role comes up when any of the shows that i recommend that people go that's a lot of hours i go to start with the most recent episode be okay with being a little bit lost See if you like the characters. See if you like the way the, the the group interacts. And if you do, just continue on from there. So if you jump in on episode 200 or episode 201 or whatever you jump in on, uh, if you like us, stick around. And if not, I have many other suggestions for you. Come find me on Obo yeah. Lauren, and I'll let you know. Very good. Excellent. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody, both in the Twitch and our guests. Uh, thanks for filling in for Mike. It was definitely an upgrade. 
<laughs> it was I I you know we, we joke about Mr. Shea and and everything, but I do have a lot of respect for him, and I hope we get a chance to uh, do this again with uh, all three of you fine fine folk, and then I can also show up and make the the show fifteen minutes longer. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> all right, so that's that's the end of the episode, and say goodbye, guys. Bye, goodbye, guys. guys.